What up? Hey. How you doing today, Ryan? Doing pretty well. Yeah? Yeah. It's a nice day out. Yeah. Sun's coming out. Sun's coming out. Hopefully the, the wind doesn't kill the power in my apartment while we're recording this show. <laughs> yeah, here's hoping. Here's hoping. We <clears throat> hope for the best. Yeah. Welcome back. I'm Joseph. And I'm Ryan. Paper, Pewter, and Plastic Podcast, episode six. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's wild. Six episodes already. Damn. White Dwarf, issue three. Issue number three. Very excited about this issue. Yeah. It's a, it's a good one. There's a lot of helpful stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of really sort of evergreen content to this. Yeah. Like... Yeah, stuff that it doesn't really matter what system you're running, mm-hmm. or you're, or what. I mean, even editions. I mean, this. Is oh yeah, very, absolutely. Very cross yeah. helpful stuff. Yeah. I guess just like right off the bat, I really like the cover art. Yeah, yeah, it is really evocative. Yeah, cover art. Like um, I did, I did appreciate, I did appreciate that as well. Yeah, um, it's doing a lot of work with. Such a limited palette. So little. It's so yeah. I I there is a name for this type of coloring mm. where it's just like they're gonna overlay a color on top of black and white illustration. Mm. And so of course, I mean this was would have been illustrated in black and white, but when it's printed, it's printed with the color. I forget I forget the name of the process. Yeah. Um, but it is you know, but it's so evocative and it's so unique in its own way. The, just the way he uses textures as depth. Yeah. Um, it's a great cover and it's, it's just, it feels like a woodcut almost. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, and it may, maybe it was, I mean, it's po- entirely possible that, yeah, I don't think it was, but it could have been, <laughs> it could have been. I do like that. You can see the clear paste up right here. Yeah. Where the, um, where they wanted the, the box to go out of the out of the out of the bounding box. Yeah, the yeah. treasure chest to go out of the bounding box. Yeah, it's good. It's good illustration. Yeah, I do like that. I did also appreciate Ian Livingston. I do. I I really love these. I love the letters. Yeah, I love the letters from the editor. I love letters to to, to the, the magazine. Yeah. yeah, and just I love looking at them in their own way because they're very much. Um, responding to like very precise exact things yeah which i really appreciate this particular letter is interesting because it's he's basically talking about like we didn't think there was going to be an audience for this kind of magazine Mm -hmm. in in england for american games yeah she's you know which he goes on even in the next episode or in the next issue to talk about RPGs and war games really as primarily American games now. Yeah. He's like, we created this stuff. We created miniature war games. Why don't we have any good ones? <laughs> <laughs> but he does he does talk about that. And I, I've been reading through Dice Men. Yeah. Um, the book that Ian Livingston wrote with Steve Jackson about the history of Games Workshop. Basically, you know, up until their involvement ceased. Uh, in the in the eighties, when they sold it to Brian Ansel, there's a chapter in that book about White Dwarf in particular and about how it started. And they purchased a mailing list to say, "Hey, do you 
Yeah. Like, can we, where, do you want this magazine? We're just going <laughs> to send it to you. <laughs> Hopefully you'll buy more. Um, and so they did a run of a thousand issues and it all sold out. And then they, they went to three printings of the first issue of White Dwarf. Wow. So he, so here he is really talking about like, yeah, there's a resounding excitement about this type of game. Yeah. Among, among British readers. And he's like, we really, we want to improve on it and we really want to see where it's going to go. I, I always appreciate that. I'll probably never not talk about yeah. <laughs> the the letters from the editor. There's always something something to mention. Yeah. So um what's what's something that caught your eye first? Yeah, so this first article on solo play Dungeons and Dragons and especially like mapping dungeons mm-hmm. um when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons solo uh was super interesting. I I liked this article a lot. For one thing, Solo D and D is, I think, woefully underrated mm-hmm. with where tabletop games are now. I actually use playing solo D and D as how I build most of my serious villains, especially villains that have like a kind of anti-party. They will always be developed by me playing a solo adventure with those characters. Mm. And then that gives me a chance to like really know exactly how this character plays. Mm. It helps with like picking magic items because you can just like give them random shit in the same way that you would give a party random shit and then figure out what's the usefulness to this character of that random shit. Uh, but a thing that is a problem when you're playing solo is that it's really hard to build a dungeon <laughs> because the whole thing that works of the dungeon is the DM knows what the physical space looks like and you don't. And so you've got them communicating it to you and that level of removal where you don't know exactly how this place fits together and works together creates the the drama of the dungeon itself, which is totally missing if you just know already. Mm -hmm. And this is a pretty functional system of like surprising yourself Mm -hmm. as you go. Um, Which for my purposes, as far as like developing NPCs and like more detailed and complicated adversaries for the party, Mm -hmm. it's not super important to me. Like the, the dungeon delve aspect isn't super important when that's what you're doing it for. But like if you're just bored and you're like, fuck, I would really like to play some D and D. This is a great setup to yeah. do that. I've never played solo D and D. Yeah. I play, I do regularly play on just on my own when I have just some time and a few dice with me. Yeah. <laughs> which I always have a few dice with me. I, I do play uh dark fort, which was, Oh yeah. The, yeah. Like, original version of Mark Borg or it was like the first like play test sort of solo mapping version of, of Mark Borg, which yeah. is, it's just a lot of fun. I, I always have a lot of fun playing it, but the same with the, like the fighting fantasy series. Like mm-hmm. I love those books and I love trying to map those dungeons as well while playing through. So I've never done it like for D and D and I've never done it in a way to like, well, here's how I want to like create a map or here's how yeah. I want to you know, spend an afternoon playing playing D and D I've never, I've never done that with any version of D and D. Yeah. Um, but it does. Yeah. I mean, I'm reading through this. It was like, okay, well like this seems more than helpful. <laughs> yeah. 
And the other thing that this is super useful for is if you don't really have an idea yet of what you want your dungeon to be set up like, Mm -hmm. if you really want to build a dungeon, but you're struggling to start. So now there's stuff like, like Donjon that is super easy. It just like randomly generates a, you know, procedurally generated dungeon for you. Yeah. But before that was readily available, things like this would be super useful. And even I think the sort of tactile nature of it makes it, at least to me, a little bit more appealing than just like letting Donjon build a thing for me. And also like as a, as a starting point where it's like, all right, so I have some stuff figured out. I, I have stuff on the page that I can edit and fix and make more my own. Um, I think this could be a really useful tool for, for helping to like build a dungeon, um, which is also a thing. Uh, what year is this issue of White Dwarf from? Uh, 1977. So then the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide is not out yet. Yeah, they um, actually mentioned that. I can't remember if it's at the end of this mm. uh, issue or if it's at the end of the next issue where they do mention there's a new box set coming out. There's a new box set of OD&D, but also there's a new rules book and a new yeah Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, which would have been 78 for... Um, AD&D. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's that's the thing that for all of the sort of like high Gygaxian nonsense <laughs> of the writing of the, the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide, the, the setup of how to build a dungeon and the advice on how to build a dungeon is probably some of the best and most functional yeah. um, advice on the topic. Yeah. Even still. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I did find something like this to be maybe more helpful because this seemed to have a sort of process of just being, you know, draw a few rooms. Yeah. Like draw a few rooms. That's that's because you're basically combining maps. That's basically yeah, this yeah. system is you draw 100 small room or small dungeons, like three or four rooms on a piece of paper and then you're rolling dice. Yeah. Be like, okay, well, or you're determining like, which way am I going? Yeah. And then, and then it sort of just evolves from there. Yeah. Uh, which I really just as a process, as a process of doing it, it, for me, it felt a lot more just functional as brainstorming. Cause I mean, it's the same thing when, when it's just, Oh, I want to try to generate new ideas for something that I want to build. Yeah. You know, it's just like take one minute, draw something, take another minute, draw something. Midwinter Minis did this with an orc gargant that he built out of from scratch that mm. he just scratch built. He just doodled, you know, 30, 30 little doodles of just whatever came to mind. This Maybe this gargant will come together like this. Yeah. Maybe it'll come together like this. And he had 30 little doodles, and then he picked, picked and choose because it's like it forces your brain to just sort of think differently yeah and i think that something like that could be really helpful especially for people who don't want to just like go through the process of like okay let's roll the dice okay it's a hallway okay let's roll another die like that can be very in its own way kind of boring it is it is good i don't mean to like i'm not disagreeing that yeah. the, the guy gax like a d and d how to build a dungeon i don't think it's bad at all but for me personally, I think it's not the way that I 
really can build a dungeon because my brain is just like I get you know I get a few rooms in I'm like okay this is kind of boring yeah <laughs> like that's just that's just me so something like this where I'm just like where I've doodled a bunch of yeah possible options and then I'm building it off of that yeah uh, I think that for people who who have tried that Gygaxian method I think this is probably better um, and I might try to Maybe not better, but maybe maybe up your alley. That maybe yeah, I mean, especially especially for what it is for, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you're trying to create something where you're surprised, mm-hmm. this is a great setup. Yeah, and if you do get bogged down by trying to figure it out on your own, and you need that like push to sort of like think about it differently and. If, especially if you're playing solo and you care about the the dungeon delve as a as a facet of the game, you're gonna need it. Yeah, because <laughs> I know there's like the the deck of many dungeons, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a similar thing. Yeah, I've never used. I don't have it. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I have followed. There's somebody I follow on Instagram who I can't remember right now, but but he has a Discord where it's like everybody draws. A room or everybody draws oh, that's cool like you know, four rooms and your exit points have to be at these particular coordinates coordinates yeah. on like you know it's like a 10 by 10 square or something yeah and then your exit points have to be here here and here and here so that then everybody can come together and have this huge mega dungeon yeah where everybody's mapped a few rooms that's or cool even, or even just one big room you know if that's what you went for yeah and then it becomes its own becomes its own thing so i think in that way it's 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 not something that's out of the realm of like things people are doing now yeah but it is something it's good to see it in writing like this yeah and it's good to sort of walk through the process so what's uh what's what's up next for you the next thing that i i think it's the next thing and at least in order is the uh the monster mark like this thing continuing right it is an attempt at coming up with a challenge rating yeah um system for whatever reason this is the first time it really clicked with me what the monster mark system was yeah i don't know what it was about this particular article like this particular chapter in the monster mark system yeah it was fine it finally clicked like oh it's it's just a challenge rating it really clicked with me and it really made a lot of sense and it may have been because i read the next issue first one of the articles in there is like oh well you know this person's harder this monster's harder to deal with because their ch- their monster mark is 82 compared to this other one where it's only five or whatever you know? yeah it's just like oh <laughs> <laughs> i'm an idiot like it's just it's just a challenge rating yeah um sorry but i don't mean to interrupt yeah i mean i didn't i didn't have a lot to say about it as a as a system but something that he touched on about like differences in how different referees give out experience points mm-hmm. and how those things are always going to be a little bit different based on what things that referee values, what things are important to this particular game, those sorts of things. And it, it got me thinking that like in general, I, I think there's something sort of weirdly valuable about playing a number of different games in your in your gaming group because definitely a thing that's coming up with like monster mark and it's 
becoming more clear as as these monster marks progress that part of the problem is that all of them are playing the same game and they're also running that same game. And so they're seeing it from all angles and it's sort of killing the sort of experience of not knowing, which is especially to like sword and sorcery and that like that type of adventure. The, the fact that the character shouldn't really know how dangerous this thing is. The character should be surprised and concerned. And if everyone is all playing and running the same game, you lose that. So, like, a a thing that I noticed is, like, a lot of, in my particular gaming group, most of us also run games. But, by and large, none of us run the same games. We all run different systems or different editions, and, and that allows the game to retain that kind of esoteric quality, right, where, like, the the DM, the, the GM, the referee, that that's the dude who understands this world. And all of the rest of us are like, you know, scared peasants yeah. who are learning. And, and, and I think that that's a real problem that's still a problem in like trying to figure out how to make leveling fun and make it make sense. Because mm-hmm. I know that when, you know, what you attach experience to is what you're going to tell your players to do. That, that section of the monster mark was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like the, the process of figuring out like how difficult is a monster and how difficult should they be and like what level is that appropriate. Uh, that stuff's like kind of less interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But the like what are we actually creating in terms of gameplay through this system was yeah. an interesting part of that. We touched on this in I think it was probably in the last White Dwarf episode. Mm where we talked about how something like this could be really useful for competitive play. Yeah, right. for sure. How something like this could be really useful um, if you're like, okay, well, I need some hard numbers because I need to be able to assign point values based on how difficult a thing was. Yeah. Whereas that didn't really really exist in in AD&D. It didn't really, it doesn't really exist. Yeah. So I do think that you touched on onto that and I and this really leans more into that idea of being like okay, well like now because the DM, the referee, the GM knows how difficult this monster is and now I have a baseline of like because I know its difficulty, now I can use this very basic math. Yeah. to to say okay, this is why it works. Um, or this is why you get this many experience points yeah. for the level you're at, which I did appreciate. And and again, like this was the first time it all really clicked with me. I think I was I was looking something up, um, and somebody was like, "Yeah, the monster mark system is really good, um, but like mathematically, it's it's impossible." <laughs> <laughs> but like this is even like I mean, this is years later. Some this is yeah. like on a blog. Somebody's like, yeah. "Love the monster mark system." It's, great idea great has a great way it works but man as far as the math goes it's is rough but um, and i think even one of the letters in this issue responding to the monster mark system was like it's so good but she's louise like (laughs) i'm not i'm not a math major like i don't i don't have an advanced mathematics degree like 
which which is really funny to me. Yeah, but because because now you're looking at the experience points, and now it's such because now it's really such basic math. Yeah, it's like okay, ten times the monster mark divided by the character's level. That's experience points for the party. Yeah, right, and or experience points for the character. Yeah, you know, so it's so it made a lot of sense. Um, whereas like the earlier monster mark stuff was like, okay, well, like here you gotta, yeah. you know, have the, these different <laughs> like attack matrices yeah. and, and all of this. So it was a really, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really good. Finally it clicking, but then it's also just, again, it, it, it's good to see that even then people were like, I, I don't understand. I don't know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> this I is like a, the idea. Yeah. But I am not going to be able to use this. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i did want to mention i don't think i mentioned it in the last episode here in the the open box they're sort of reviews they're reviewing some some playing aids from judges guild yeah um in the last episode which was uh dragon number three mm-hmm. there was actually a letter being like can i have permission like i i wrote you guys to ask for permission to xerox some stuff to sell to players at no profit right this yeah i was like i'm gonna sell it at cost or whatever um and it was like this very hard line like no you do not have permission to like cop like photocopy anything yeah um like no you can't use it was but it but very specifically uh in the letters they were like just use some judges guild stuff they have some really good stuff coming out yeah that's licensed that's from us because we know that our tables in the dragon are garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're really hard to yeah, actually make use it's of. It's hard to make use of because of how it's laid out in this sort of column format. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that <laughs> but that was it was just something that, that I thought about. It made me chuckle. Yeah. Also, the judge's shield is that that's such a better name than uh, a DM screen. Holy shit. Can we bring that back? <laughs> yeah. The Judge's Shield. The Judge's yeah. Shield. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. Battle of Five Armies review. <laughs> I feel like they keep reviewing this game. I just feel like it's just not going to go away. Yeah. I am I am kind of glad to see that they're like, yeah, it kind of sucks. <laughs> um, yeah, just it is good to see that there are more games coming out now where it's not really so wrapped up in the, in the Tolkien stuff, right? I don't, I don't think I don't think there's almost any ads in this particular yeah. issue, or maybe even the previous issue of Dragon um, that are really, like, really leaning into it being all about Tolkien and being all about that yeah. kind of stuff. So it's, it is nice to see that fantasy games are growing up. Yeah. Maybe have been... Uh, contacted by the Tolkien estate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a little bit of column A. Yeah. A little bit of column B. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I don't think anybody could be faulted for for wanting to make use of the Tolkien universe for a a fantasy game. Because, like, there's so much shit. It's already, like, put together and handed to you in a really, you know, a very popular format. That you can't argue with that. Can't, yeah. You can't argue with it. Like, it has maps. It has maps already. <laughs> the books the came fucking, with maps. The hard part was done for you. Here's a map. 
Here's a very detailed map. Here's a less detailed map. They go together, I promise. Here's a genealogy of your NPCs. <laughs> Going back thousands of thousands <laughs> of fucking years. Here are whole languages that you can just pull from yeah. to name things consistently. Yeah. So that it sounds, you know, your dumb bullshit sounds amazing <laughs> and and believable. Yeah. 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 So it, nobody could be faulted for for making use of it except that they're selling it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the estate. The uh, estate is... Because I, I know it happened, right? And yeah. I know that the estate, like, finally clamped down. Yeah, yeah. And maybe part of that was because it was all happening in America. And yeah. it wasn't really even coming into, like, knowledge in England until really White Dwarf yeah. uh, was really out there. So it's it's entirely possible. Yeah. Because of White Dwarf. White Dwarf is the reason (laughs) they had to rename it. It's entirely possible. (laughs) Rename it into into the halfling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's very funny. I I did... There were things I really liked in the article by Lou Pulse for continuing his sort of philosophy of D&D campaigns. I liked this this one a lot. This series of articles from him, um, I think, not only in in this issue, but also the next issue um, is, I mean, there's, there's just lots of really good things for DMs yeah. to pull from and like how to be a fair judge. Yeah. You and, know, but also how to like understand how your characters or how your, how your players are going to be playing. Yeah. 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 Which, which was, was so good. It's, it was good to see it being, sort of drawn out because you know a lot of times you run into i i feel i don't know if i feel like it's more prevalent with people who are playing old school games but it's just like no i'm gonna force them into this thing and i'm gonna force them to do xyz uh very railroady like stuff that i i feel like i come across more in my interactions maybe not with you know not with you not with like our group but interactions mostly online and being like people just really complaining about like, you know, we're playing advanced dungeons and dragons or we're playing more org and nobody, you know, nobody wants to like be a cannibal or something. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. You can't like force that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like, for sure. But it was, it was also like some really fair, uh, fair ways to say, okay, well like here's how to like make sure that your players are having fun. Yeah. Yeah. To to start with on this uh it you know the my I I fucking love how it starts where it's like it's it's your boy a friendly computer with discretion. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ideal DM. The friendly the friendly computer, computer with, discretion. with discretion. Um <laughs> uh yeah and like the setting out the the like desired attributes of a campaign. This is just true. Like simplicity, rapid movement of play, that the the players are all of the players are actively participating and they have a sense that they have like real control and agency over their player or, or over their, their character and and also real sense that they are affecting the campaign world. And also like believability. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially that like sense that you're affecting the world in a meaningful way. I, I think that the 
contemporary structure of like big ass adventure mm-hmm. kills that. Having your game master who's running a campaign that's like a put together series of modules leaves so much more space for the player's weird decisions to really impact the world. I think that that gets difficult when you have really fleshed out campaign settings, especially something like Forgotten Realms, right? Where they've so much ink has been spilled on that setting that if you're playing in it, it's really hard to feel like you have a meaningful impact. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel you, you, it's easy to feel like a, a sidekick to way more important NPCs. This particular set of advice, right. Of like your, your players should be having fun. And that's the most important part, right? Like the, the sadist really doesn't have any place yeah. as, as a GM. Like, yeah, if, if that's the tendency you have, don't run the game. Yeah. Playing somebody else's game, that can be fine. Yeah. You know, as so long as everybody else is on board with your weird shit, like fine, <laughs> I, you know, but you really shouldn't be running the yeah. game if that's the, if that's the mindset you're going into it with. Yeah. I fully, fully agree with that. I, this whole section that he had on player referee communication. Yeah. How he set it up with these, these four questions and saying like, you have to respond yes to all of these questions in order to like, I, he, he's just setting up like a really good expectation of play. Yeah. And of course, like now some of these things are just sort of like obvious yeah. things that people just always do. But then it was a very different, I mean, it was a different game. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, really OD and D even compared to AD and D, um, you know, yeah. lots of big differences, lots of big differences. But, but I mean, AD and D to you know five E. I mean, it's like it's a it's an entirely it's a different, very different. Diff- uh, yeah, entirely different game. Yeah. But it, these are the four questions, right? Shall the players roll their own attack and saving throw dice? Shall each person be permitted to decide what his characters do? Shall the players be permitted extended time to think about what they intend to do? Shall the referee permit players to change their minds about what they intend to do before they are told results? results of course yeah my answer to all of these is yes and i'm like yeah (laughs) yeah my only my only thing is that sometimes that first one like should the players be rolling all of these like the players should be seeing the results um but at least with like brand new players it adds a layer of of complication and confusion if you're like all right roll a d8 and they're like uh yeah. And it just it, it just adds them feeling dumb and like they don't know what's happening and like they're slowing everything down. Yeah. And that can be a real bummer. So when new brand new people who've never played any tabletop games, sometimes I'll just tell them what I'm going to do and roll it for them, like in front of them. So they understand what's happening. Sure. But without that like added moment of like oh fuck i'm ruining everything because i i don't know yeah i don't know what die i'm supposed to be using you know those but again my only hesitation yeah but again like this i I do know that at the time i mean the the dm was rolling everything for some tables yeah for because there's no there's no rules on what that's supposed to look like of course this was od and d yeah yeah but i mean they were i mean sometimes the dm screen was like a wall yeah <laughs> you know yeah, even, yeah 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 it wasn't even just like some little little mount that i was peeking over and la- yeah laughing at you yeah. uh, <laughs> wasn't you know, even just a shield yeah entire fortification <laughs> yeah that's right yeah it was a castle um 
But yeah, it, it, I understand that. And I do even just to like curb that a little, that sort of problem of like not knowing the dice. It's one of the reasons I, I really appreciate like older, the older dice, they were all different colors. <laughs> yeah. As you just be like the red one, roll the red one. Yeah. You know, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like roll a, roll the blue, one, whatever it was, which I, I, I mean, even now I, I try to play with those cause sometimes I'm just like, all my dice look the same yeah. or I have a mountain of them. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, shit. I <laughs> forgot where all my D8s are, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll just roll a D6 plus another D6. Flip a coin. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of really great, really great just advice about how to communicate with your players. Yeah. Um, but even, even when he's talking about extended time to think about what they want to do absolutely yeah it's it's not it's not just like let's just sit at the table for an hour while we discuss everything yeah but it's it's them coming to terms with like action like okay like we do have like a limit right there's always going to be a limit but it's also like we don't i don't want you having to go into every single thing completely blind yeah that's not how that's not how games work yeah, and, and also, like, he gives a good explanation that, like, your character is a professional adventurer. This is the shit they're doing with their whole lives. I, I, I'm i a little bit, I, I think it's more fun for, like, you know, that first level party to be like, ah, shit, we don't know anything. We're terrible at this. We're all just going to hope we don't die. Yeah. <laughs> but by the time you're, like, fifth, sixth level, you know, you're doing, like, serious stakes adventuring Mm -hmm. your character is going to know a lot more about this shit than you do. Yeah. And if you're going to play that out, you're going to need more time than they would. They're making these decisions immediately, but you're not because you don't do this every day. You do this for an hour and a half, you know, not an hour and a half. You do this for like three, four hours every week. And then you Go back to your like office job or you know whatever it is that you do waiting tables whatever they don't do that yeah. but this is an interesting sort of thing happening because and we had talked about this before like games running in real time mm-hmm. um, I'm now completely blanking on the name of the game that we had talked about that is running in Shadow Dark Shadow Dark thank you yeah and that was something that was an expectation in a lot of groups playing um, OD&D mm-hmm. that the game is happening in real time. Um, and when you stop playing, your character's just chilling out at a tavern while you're not around. Yeah. Um, which is why, like, you got to get back to safety. You can't hang out in the dungeon because if you're hanging out in the dungeon between sessions, you're going to get killed because you can't respond to anything that happens. Yeah. And I think that that, from this article, it seems like that was spilling into the player and the DM expectation of how the table was going to work. That the table would work a one-to-one correspondence to some extent. So you would, you know, you want your players to make immediate decisions. I can kind of understand why you would want that. I mean, nobody wants to sit through like 15 minutes of arguing about every round of combat. Yeah. That would be awful. Yeah. But again, you know, your, your players aren't 
doing this all the time. They're doing this for three hours yeah. on Thursday night. Yeah, I. one of the things that he, he also um, refers to in this article is allowing your players to make mistakes, hear the sort of sort of groans from their fellow players mm-hmm. and be like, no, 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 don't do that. You know? Yeah. And it may be like, Oh, can I not, you know, I don't want to pick up the skull. And there he's like, okay. You know? Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's, it's just another one of those things where it's like, he's like, cause you don't want your games to be ruined by some, somebody who's just like making these sort of snap, snap judgment calls yeah. without really thinking about like the longer effects of the game. Yeah. It's sort of just a- allowing even but even allowing like those snap judgments to be curbed yeah. in, in favor of maybe a little more discussion with my with the rest of the party. Yeah. Even yeah. if that discussion wouldn't have happened among the the characters, right? Like there can be times where like this player forgot that like you all know this thing is cursed as shit and it's going to make him go crazy and kill the rest of the party. Yeah. But, like, the player forgot. The character would not have forgot that because that conversation in-game happened, like, two hours ago, and it's the only thing you talked about between then and now. Yeah. Like, the fact that all of you took, like, a whole week off and, like, the that gap between what the player remembers and what their character would remember, like... Yeah. You know, erring on the side of, like, yeah, no, your, your character would know. Yeah. And part of that is just that total loss of sense of time yeah. when you're playing the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, we you know we play games for, you know, a few hours a week or something. I mean, it can be, could, because it can vary so widely. Yeah. It's like, okay, like we traveled, you know, 600 miles yeah. today, you know, because yeah, yeah. we just, you know, we kept rolling really well on the random encounter yeah. table and <laughs> never came across anything. Weather was always perfectly favorable. You've been traveling for two weeks uh, and you're fine. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, like we've been in this dungeon, you know, we feel we'll be in the dungeon for maybe two whole sessions or a session and a half. But in real time, that was, or in real time, like in our time, it was just, it felt like, oh man, we were there for such a long time. Yeah. But in the game, it's like you were in there for couple hours maybe yeah like yeah that is a thing (laughs) it's a thing that like gets kind of memed right just because gygax says it so weirdly (laughs) of like you have to keep diligent track of time otherwise the entire campaign is going to (laughs) completely come apart at the seams and be totally meaningless you know it's, it's wildly overstated but it's it's not totally off base right like keeping as the dm keeping really good track of time and reminding your players um, so that's the thing I've I've started doing is like every time we sit down to play, being like clear about how much time how much time was the last session actually? Yeah. Like, was it a couple of hours in game or was it three months in game? Just so that everyone keeps sort of in their minds like how much how long has this really been? Um, and that's super important if you've got a, a game where like role play comes into f- effect right because if there's a huge gap between like we've been in this dungeon for four hours and we've been in this dungeon for days we are lost as shit yeah we have no idea where we're going and i'm start like my character is starting to get anxious and wondering whether or not like i should just use my thing that will get me and only me the fuck out of this place yeah in 
the real world, right? Like those two games can be the same amount of time, right? Like it, it could just be one session, but in game, there's a huge, like the, you know, in the like secondary world, there's such a huge gap, so much difference and being like aware of the time and communicating the time between the DM and the, the party is so important to keeping that intact. And I think with, with a lot of old school games, it's a lot easier to keep track of time because it expects you to keep track of time and it gives you materials to keep track of time yeah. and reasons to keep track of time. Yeah. Right? Like your torches are only lit for so long and then they go out and you got to use the next one. And what do we do when we run out of torches? Yeah. You just hope you don't run out of torches. Like freak out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fucking panic. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 again, this article in particular was filled with so much, so much, just great stuff. Like, you know, how to use detection spells. Well, yeah. How to run alignment. Well, yeah you know instead of just running all alignments exactly the same yeah um or or just ignoring it it's just yeah no like here's like what chaotic means here's what lawful means it doesn't mean they're they're always like very good yeah or in chaotic doesn't mean they're always like totally evil evil. yeah you know and he was and and so it was one of those things and i don't yeah it was he gave he gave advice of like, don't mix chaotic and and lawful into the same party. Yeah, which that was weird to me. Yeah, because um, I, if you're using like the the like Moorcock universe as your basis mm-hmm. for what these things are mm-hmm. in your campaign, yeah, yeah, they won't mix. They're not gonna hang out. Yeah, like their gods have demanded that they kill each other. Yeah, um, <laughs> and they're not gonna decide against that. Yeah. But I don't use that strictly. Yeah. In you know my campaign. Yeah, it's so my, rare. Um, um, I mean, I know that some people do, but yeah, yeah, I do. I do also think that there is. It's one of those other dimensions of adding some moral ambiguity within in the party. Yeah. And in adding some sort of character tension, you know, because when I was playing. You know, I was playing a chaotic good mouse. Yeah. But, you know, one of our other friends was playing a chaotic evil, like, elf, you know? Yeah. So it was just like, while we were still on this character, while we were still on this basis of being chaotic, like, it was also still in that different spectrum of good and evil. Like, yeah. Or, or, you know, when I was playing a paladin versus his, after the mouse died. Yeah. Rest in peace, Jerry. Mm. Uh, when I was playing a paladin versus his his evil character, like yeah, that was good. It added some very good tension within the game, yeah, that, and within the party, yeah, yeah, because it was like okay, like you know, it it was real, it was like real tension, real tension, yeah. And, but it, we, but it was it was so enjoyable, yeah, as tension, yeah. And I think that also comes back to like what the what is the setting of your game, not in the in terms of like what game setting are you using? But like, are you playing among friends who know each other? Are you playing among strangers at a convention? Strangers at a convention? That would not have worked. Yeah. Or if it would have worked, it would have been like insane magic. Yeah. Like, you know, lightning in a bottle at that point. Yeah. Among people who really know each other, that much tension between the characters can be an amazing 
addition to the game that would otherwise not be there. Mm -hmm. But in a group of people that don't really know each other or don't really like each other, that shit would be dangerous. Like real close to like actual conflict (laughs) among the players and being able to keep that space between like these characters really don't like each other. They're kind of stuck being together, but they don't like each other. The moment it's possible to get the hell away from each other, that they're going to do that. But after the game is over, we're all still friends, you know, yeah. <laughs> like that's. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good, but it, it's still good. Um, good information from, from old Lou Pulsifer. Absolutely. About, uh, I like, loved this article. It's very good. And the, really the whole series uh, has been, yeah. been good. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I never, I've never read any of so so far like reading them I I always feel like I gained something out of reading this despite the fact that like you know I've been running D&D for a while and I yeah run a lot of I run a lot of games yeah you do yeah yeah but like I always feel like I, I learn a lot out of it there's a lot of interesting stuff to think about to sit on to mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a really good piece yeah this one in particular was like really caught I think that like every paragraph caught my attention. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great, great article. Yeah. I, nothing really stood out for me in the sort of the treasure chest. Um, Yeah. um, The magic rooms from Ian Waugh, a famous creator of the pervert class. (laughs) Um, It, you know, these Uh, kind of goofy rooms, kind of goofy traps. It's like, like those are, those could be fun. Yeah. But it wasn't, nothing really stood out. Nothing to really me. like stood out super hard to me, but yeah. I do like a fun house dungeon. Yeah. And those yeah. could be, those would be great in a fun house dungeon. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. the, the cloning room. Yeah. Uh, and the clumsy room. The clumsy room is just so the clumsy goofy. room is so goofy. I loved that. <laughs> Once inside this room, a character's efficiency as related to dexterity will decrease by 75%. <laughs> Um, it will last as long as they're in the room and for five turns after leaving the room, which is a lot. It is a lot. It's yeah. a long time. But it, but then the treasure item, the clumsy purse, <laughs> which re- resembles any normal purse, you will remain clumsy as long as you have the purse. <laughs> <laughs> you can take the gold out of it. Yeah. Put it in your bag of infinite wealth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, turn it just into the same gold, same amount of gold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I I like things that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, in a fun house dungeon. But generally speaking, um, just sort of whatever. Yeah, yeah. or just the, like a particularly weird part of a not fun house dungeon. Yeah, right. Like I I really like having that like that one place in yeah. a totally otherwise normal setup where it's like, wait, what? What the fuck was that? What did we just do? Um, hold hold up. Was I a shark? Yeah. <laughs> was I a shark for five turns? Yeah. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. <laughs> yeah, and the the last thing I wanted to touch on was a uh, crossover event of the season uh, was uh, Janelle Jacquet with a letter to <laughs> yeah. White Dwarf. Yeah. Um, yeah, this 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 was actually what I referred to earlier. Uh, was very excited about the Monster Mark system, but it's just just horrible. <laughs> like 
really love it, but gosh, it's a lot of math. Yeah. Um, try to simplify it a try, little. Yeah. And then and then she also was like, Fred Hemmings, me and you got beef. <laughs> We're gonna fight. <laughs> Me and you are going to fight. Uh, <laughs> you took my dungeon yeah. for your competitive D&D. Yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be for competitive play. You're judging it based on something it wasn't created for. And you didn't give me credit, you son of a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but I, I do think that I was... Yeah, that, that was just one of those things. It just really stuck out to me. Just, I, I, it's I, a fun letter. I love seeing that those kind of things. It is a good letter. Yeah. There's another letter from Lou Pulsifer <laughs> being like, look, man, um, that review of Lankmar sucked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was just it was just some funny things within the letters column. But that was it. And then yeah. the the back cover, I really The back love. cover is so good. Again from uh Fangorn. It's just like this fairy character and it's it's really lively. It has that sort of seventies art deco kind of revival yeah. feel to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I I love it. Yeah. It's like this is something somebody would get tattooed somewhere, you know? Like <laughs> it's definitely like yeah. has that feel. Yeah. Of, like just being like really good flash art, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that was it. Yeah. That was White Dwarf three. White Dwarf number three. Very good issue. <laughs> Very good issue. Sorry. In my notes I, I misspelled dwarf and put a B. <laughs> White Borf. White Borf. <laughs> uh, fuck. <laughs> All right, White Borf. Just... White Borf number <laughs> number three. Thank you guys so much for following us. Yeah. Uh, if you're not already following us, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts, obviously, because you're listening to us there. Yeah. Most likely. If not, I'm deeply confused yeah we'll, we'll do our best to get there for you yeah or you can find us yeah at paper pewter plastic on instagram we're there we're excited to interact with you guys and uh, very excited to continue growing along with you yeah so um until next time uh see you then peace <laughs>